guys, welcome back to Aesthetically Displeasing, where we talk about all things spooky, stupid, and displeasing. I'm Melanie. And I'm Nicole. And this week is my turn to tell Nicole a story. So I am doing the case of Tamla Horsford. And you've heard this before, right? Yeah. A long time ago. Good. So you have It's been a while. Good. Okay. So at 8.59... On November 4th in 2018, Jean Myers called 911 to report that a guest at her football mom's birthday party sleepover was unresponsive in the yard. So on the 911 call, she starts, we had people over last night. Most of us went to bed. One of them was on the balcony. She was drinking. We just went to sit outside and she's face down the backyard. It looks like I'm guessing maybe she fell off the balcony, but she's stiff. And then the 911 operator says, okay, is she breathing? And Jean says, I don't know. She's face down. And I know that I'm reading this like very like monotone, but this is how the 911 call went. Oh, she, she was just like reporting the facts. She, yes. She, I mean, if we had a slumber party and like Marissa's face down on the ground, I am going to be freaking out. Oh my God. I'd be hyperventilating. Absolutely. And she, I mean, she sounds a, little bit out of breath you can find this obviously anywhere but yeah she does not sound scared she just sounds mildly concerned and is just reporting the facts um then the 911 operator asks how old she is and john says she's 41 and then goes here hold on and hands the phone over to her boyfriend jose barrera and again completely calm hey this is jose and the 911 operator says... It's like a normal phone call. Exactly. And so she asks, have y'all checked to see if she's breathing? And he says, she's not moving one bit. She's not breathing. I just tried to assess her, to touch her. She's completely face down the yard. She's stiff. What? Not, You're just like looking at her being like... Yes. Like I mean, she's like, stiff. So and, she's been dead for a while. And they're not <laughs> freaking out. And so she asks, okay, do you see any blood? I don't know. I don't know if I should move her over. She's face down. And then the 911 operator has to say, okay, can you check to see if she's breathing? If she's breathing and you know, if she's not breathing and you know that she's gone, then just leave her where she's at. So 911 operator is also a little bit blase about this. So Jose says, one minute, literally sighs. Like you can hear like some shuffling (laughs) and you can hear some voices and then it goes completely silent. So you can tell he's on like an iPhone and mutes the call because there's no sound. And 30 seconds later, he says, I'm completely not sure. And she says, you're not sure if you can see? And she said, and then Jose says, that's what I can see without moving her. I haven't seen her face. So she's still face down. She's still face down. No one has flipped her over. And the 911 operator says, do you know if she was suicidal at all? This is verbatim on the 911 call. And he says, I have no clue. I met her a couple times. Like my girlfriend said, we had some people over last night. Um, we were just having a birthday party. Instead of having everyone go out, she decided to stay in. She was the last one I saw before everyone went to bed. She was the last one in the kitchen. She was either like waiting around for a ride or just waiting until morning. And so the 911 operator says, okay, how far would she have fallen? How far is the deck from the ground? And he says, um, about 20 feet where your feet would be on the railing. That's weird. That is a extremely 
strange way to describe it. And then he says the railing itself is three and a half or four feet. So he's already setting this up like, oh yeah, we had a slumber party and this lady must have jumped off my balcony. And like, okay, I don't know if it's a four foot, um, like railing railing, and she's, I don't know how tall she is, but you would, you don't necessarily need to stand on top of it to go over. I don't know. She was five foot six. So. Right. So that's how tall I am. Yeah. That's weird. Yeah. Describing it. If your feet were on the railing, not to the top of the railing, if your feet were on the railing. And then he says that um, Jean has cameras and they can check. And then he says, it's hard to tell if she was on the deck or if she was downstairs. She was the only one out here. Um, and he said she was the only smoker. She was probably out here smoking. I'm out here on the deck and there's cigarettes and a lighter. I'm just trying to see where she came from. But he already said that her feet were on. Yes. So there's a little bit of contention that I'll talk about later on because of the way that her body was positioned. If she fell off the balcony or if she was at ground level and just fell straight down, just like face plant on the ground. But the 911 operator asks, are all the people that were there last night still in your house? And he said they're, and then he has to like talk, like you can hear him talking to someone like, hey, like who's not here? And he says, there are four people from last night that are no longer here. The last time I personally saw Tam was at about one in the morning. At that point, she was the only one in the kitchen. And just from there, it's just the 911 operator explaining that the police are coming and asking where the police should pull up. But the biggest takeaway there was nothing said about trying to do CPR. He never said, and Jean never said, we found her, we rolled her over, we tried to do CPR, we tried right. to find a pulse. We Like, she's not breathing. There's Everyone is completely calm. That's no weird. one even looked at her face. It's just still face down? Yes. She's still face down? Oh, my she goodness. She is just completely face down. Also, like, just side note, if you're suicidal, like, why would... I mean, like, I know drinking and stuff like that, but why would you go to a friend's sleepover to then go on a balcony that you might not necessarily know is, like, there? Exactly. That's so weird. Exactly. Okay, so some background. Tamil Horsford was born on October 10th, 1978 in St. Vincent in the Grenadines, which is a nation in the South Caribbean. She lived there until she was 11. Um, In 1989, her family moved to the Bronx, and then she met her husband, Leander, in Florida, they got married and had five children together, a daughter that Leander, or Lee, as it's written a lot, um, and then they had four sons together. In 2012, the Horsfords moved to Georgia for Leander's job. Tamla was described as an amazing mother, the life of the party, and she loved to dance and laugh. And I know, like, it's a really cliche thing to say, but, like, when you see pictures of her, like, she is so beautiful. She looks like she's 25 still. Yeah, I remember seeing pictures of her. Yes, she's so beautiful. She looks, like, just so vibrant. She has a beautiful smile. Like, she just looks like the sweetest person ever, and she's described as just being an Mm -hmm. amazing person. Um, So she's living in Georgia now, and six years um, after they moved to Georgia on November 3rd in 2018... Tamla went to Jean Meyer's home to celebrate Jean's 45th birthday with some other moms. They were all friends because their sons were on the same football team and they planned to have an adult 
girls' night in. They all brought over cute pajamas. They were going to drink, play games, and then watch football. It was an LSU versus Alabama game, and Tamla was an LSU fan. And Tamla didn't actually know everyone that was going to be at the party, mm-hmm. but she was a super social person, and she was really excited to make, like, more mom friends. Aww. So, like, even though she wouldn't know anyone, like, everyone there, she was, like, ready to go and hang out with some new people. Right. Um, And just somewhere in her character, she was actually one of the last people to arrive at the party because she wanted to make a breakfast casserole for her family to eat the next morning. So she didn't arrive to the party until eight thirty, so that she could make everyone a breakfast casserole. Sounds like such a mother of four. Like you exactly like everyone but yourself. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, And then speaking of thinking of everyone but herself, she um, when she arrived, she had brought a bottle of tequila that she had gotten in Mexico for Jean for her birthday gift. Oh, yeah, super nice. Like a bottle of tequila from Mexico. Jean. Didn't accept the gift. What? She said that she didn't drink tequila. How close were her and how how close were they as friends? Just like friends Not because just, they just were on football? Friends because their kids were on a football team together. Not like it does. In so like, like not good enough friends to be like, you. I don't like tequila yes. and it's acceptable. It's At, like super rude. Yeah. Like they are like. <laughs> cordial friends like they're hanging out a little bit and like now they're starting to hang out outside of their kids like football practice I would assume yeah so she gets her like a bottle of tequila from Mexico like so that's just a little hint of Jean as a person um she also brought an overnight bag and some adult like onesie footy pajamas that were white with black paw prints on them in all there were 12 people that were there that night eight women including Tamla and then two men, Jean's 27-year-old boyfriend. I'm sorry. Who, 27. She, she. This is her 45th birthday, and he is 27. Um, And he claimed that he wasn't actually supposed to be there that night because he wasn't going to be there because it was going to be a girl's night, but he wanted to stay home because he wasn't feeling well. But there was another man that stayed there, and it was someone else's husband. Um, There was also one um aunt it was Jean's aunt who lived with her um and then there was one husband who kind of hung out a little bit just when he dropped off his wife and then he left and then hung out a little bit when he picked his wife up um so there were two men there but they um were in the basement while the women were upstairs drinking and hanging out and everyone said that Tamla seemed like she was having a super great time she was drinking um and then she was also a smoker so she was smoking cigarettes and then um she had also brought some marijuana with her and was smoking that. But Jean didn't like that Tamla was smoking and asked her to stop because her boyfriend was a pretrial release service officer. So his job was actually reporting bond violations and administering drug and alcohol tests. And this is down in Georgia. So there's no leniency on marijuana, really. So she. Oh, right. But she also didn't say, like, hey, could you not? Um, she called her a female Bob Marley. Yes. That's just a whole nother level of offensive because. She, yeah. She's, oh my goodness. She's not a very classy lady. I, can, I can't imagine like trying to have more mom friends and going to a slumber party where you don't know everyone and then them all being like total assholes to you. It gets worse. 
It Great. gets worse. <laughs> so the night goes on and the men eventually come upstairs to hang out with the women and they start playing um, Cards Against Humanity. And everyone reportedly was having a whole bunch of fun and they were taking pictures together. Um, and then I'm sure if you know this case, then you know this picture. It's all of the women on the couch on together. The couch, yep. That's the one I remember. But I would like to point out in the photo over to the left, you can see two women leaning into each other. Mm-hmm. And then all the way over to the right, there's three women leaning into each other and have their arms around each other. In the middle is Tamla and one other woman. And Tamla is leaning into this woman, and this woman has her back to her. So just reading. Oh, that's so eerie. It could be taken totally out of context, but you can see that every, I mean, and they are all closer friends. Right. But you can see that they are all leaning into each other, and no one's, like, leaning towards Tamla. And there's some other pictures from that night where two women are, like, leaning into each other, and then Tamla's, like in the picture too so it's very apparent from these pictures that they are not super close but then they're also not just in my opinion just reading the body language they're not like fully including her i'm looking up the picture right now ew uh this is so eerie yes i mean and that's the last picture of her alive also like she looks so like in pajamas ready to like have like like yes. really embracing the sleepover absolutely and like there's other people in like jeans and yeah and she's all like she's in her little footy pajamas and she's like I'm ready for like a mom sleepover I'm ready to be out of the house away from my kids because her youngest child at the time was only four. Oh my goodness so yeah, she was ready for a night with some yeah. other moms. But so while this night is going on, remember she had brought that bottle of tequila. I'm not sure if it was the bottle of tequila that she wanted to give Jean that she was drinking or a different bottle of tequila. But she was the only one drinking tequila. And mm-hmm. she kept offering to share it with the other women. And she was like, oh, yeah, this is the good stuff. And reportedly, the other women were passing around the tequila and like smelling it and saying how gross it was. Why are these women so rude? I don't know. And they also, a lot of them were mentioning that she was drinking tequila. And a lot of them were mentioning that she was smoking marijuana, which like it is Georgia. But they're like, yeah, <laughs> she like, no, she was the only smoker at the party. Like, she was the only one. None of us went outside with her. She was the only smoker at the party. Just being very much like holier than thou. <laughs> it's, it's so funny. The stigma on marijuana. When was this case? This is 2018. Oh, my God. Which they are like 40-year-old football moms in Georgia. So you need to keep that context in mind. But, like, my God, it's some pot. I feel like. like, Get over yourself. (laughs) I feel like most, like, 40-year-old soccer moms are doing a lot worse than pot. Very true. I don't know. Maybe (laughs) maybe football moms are the Puritans. But But they were all drinking liquor. Yeah, too. I would also like to point out that no tequila ever smells great. Yeah. You have to, like, taste it, and if it's smooth, yes. that's nice. <laughs> I mean, like, a uh, college bar tequila that was, like, house tequila yes. got awful, but, like, I've never smelled a liquor. I mean, like, mm, that's nice. Yeah, there's no liquor. <laughs> mm, I love the smell of this vodka. <laughs> no, but they wouldn't even, they wouldn't try it. There's like, oh, my God, this is so gross. Oh, my God, you're smoking pot. Just <laughs> Gross. Gross, gross, gross. Okay. So moving on to 1130, 
Um, the women who were not going to stay the night were starting to head home. And then the women who were going to spend the night were going off to their areas that they're going to sleep on. And everyone agreed that even though Tamla had been drinking and smoking, she didn't look super drunk. Mm -hmm. She did not look overly intoxicated. The most used word to describe her was just buzzed. Everyone said, like, yeah, we saw her drinking, we saw her smoking, but she was just buzzed. Um, Tamla was last seen at 1.47 a.m. by a woman whose husband was picking her up, and she was in the kitchen eating a bowl of gumbo. She said that she was going to finish eating, have one last cigarette, and go upstairs to bed. She was supposed to be sleeping in Jean's sunroom, but Jean says that she thinks that she never even made it up there because the room was completely undisturbed. Jean's security system shows that a door was opened at 1.57 a.m., presumably for Tamlin to smoke her one last cigarette, and that door was never closed. Did anyone else smoke? No. They repeated. Cigarettes. Repeated over and over. She was the only smoker. And I don't know if they're talking about cigarettes or the marijuana that she brought, but just over and over, she was the only smoker. She was the only smoker. She was the only smoker. Right, because I feel like that generation, it was more common to smoke cigarettes. Mm -hmm. So that kind of surprises me that none of these women. Nope. Just repeating. I don't like that the door was never closed. I know, and it sat open all night. And there's some speculation. People wonder, because they have their own security systems, if a door is left open for too long that would like ping your phone and um, that didn't happen on Jean's phone. She just woke up and had these notifications on her phone mm-hmm. that it opened and then she never got a notification that it closed. So at around 8.45 the next morning, Madeline Lombardi, Jean's aunt who lived with her and slept in the basement, woke up. She said that she was going to make herself a pot of coffee in the basement when she looked outside and saw a woman wearing white pajamas with black paw prints laying face down the grass. Lombardi then tells police that she knelt down to pray. And she thought that it was a dream. But when she got done praying and opened her eyes, she could still see Tamla outside. So she knew that it couldn't be a dream. Okay, I don't care how religious you are. I feel like the first reaction shouldn't be, okay, like, let me get down and pray about this. Absolutely. But then again, she sees a woman outside laying Mm -hmm. face down, not moving in the grass. So she runs upstairs, knocks timidly, I've heard in some reports, and tells Jean, there's something wrong with your friend from the islands. Oh, my God. Because remember, she's from the Caribbean. There's something wrong with your friend from the islands. Jean and Jose then take their time to get dressed And then go outside, find Tamla, do not flip her over to make sure that she's okay. Jose says that he did touch her leg, and it's not specific if he just touched it or if he, like, picked it up and kind of moved it to check on her. And then he called 911 at 8.59. Okay, I don't know about you, but the first thing I would pick up if I were to pick up any body part is a hand or roll them over oh I would totally roll them over but I'm saying like yes I would but never you pick usually up pick up their leg. arm but it's just showing that he didn't want to touch her 
I mean, you see someone face down. You roll right. them over. You touch their face. You check to see if they're breathing. You check for a pulse. You probably would shake their arm or their shoulder. Right. But he sees her face down, walks over, and, like, shakes her leg. And I was like, ah, shit, she's stiff. Better call 911. Right. Also, if they were drinking the night before, you would think, like, okay, like, even if you don't think, like, she's dead, I'd be like, oh, my God, they fell asleep in the grass. Face down. Yeah. I mean, trust me, we went to Western. (laughs) I know, but I mean, but we also always made sure that we were at least like on our sides of the pillow or like we would make sure that our friends were on their side with a pillow behind them or something. But I mean, even if they thought that she was alive, oh my God, you're breathing with your face in the dirt. Like I need to roll her over. Right. This does not happen. Also, she's a mom of four. There's no way she wouldn't be up by eight in the morning. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, so they call at 8.59 and the police arrive at 9.07 and they ask Jean and Jose to get everyone from the party back from the house. Mm-hmm. They then measure the balcony railing to the ground and concluded that if that was where she fell, um, she would have fallen from a height of 17 feet and 11 inches. This was a pretty large house, so mm-hmm. pretty decent height. Um, she was still laying face down and something to note is that her left arm and hand were at her side but her right hand was kind of bent and pointed towards 10 o'clock her wrist was completely broken and there was a bone sticking out of her skin the (gasps) bone had broken the skin from her fall are we saying that she did fall from this this height suppose however whatever happened her wrist was broken oh my goodness um however Jean very adamantly told police, this is a quote from her, of when she found the body. Remember, her right arm is pointed towards 10 o'clock and it is, mm-hmm. and her wrist is completely broken with the bone sticking out. Jean says, both arms were down by her side. And that's why I know what the other two women were saying because people were saying that like she was face down. Um, and her arm... Oh, yeah, so so sorry. People were saying, like, she, like, had her arm up to brace herself. But Jean was saying, like, no, she didn't. Um, it was her, this image was burned into my head because the best way I could phrase it almost looked like she face planted because I would never imagine someone laying there with, like, their toes almost pointed and her hands perfectly by her side. Like, and all my stuff is based on Law and & Order and CSI, so it's not a good reference point, but I was shocked at how she was laying that's weird. So completely conflicting. She's saying that her arm, like, she just, like, nosedived, basically. Like, her arms are perfectly on her side and her toes are pointed, is what Jean said. But when the police got there, her arm was moved. And no one admitted to moving her arm. Well, and the point where it's broken. Yes. So uh, my forensic brain is wondering about, like, is was there any, like, blood around like did could they tell that the break was either post-mortem or like was it done post-mortem or was it done like no they it is it wasn't done post-mortem but we will go we'll get into the blood because like what jean is like like saying Mm -hmm. is that it broke between when she saw her Mm -hmm. and when the police came i she never said that she saw her wrist broken she said that when she found right tamla her hands were at her side and her toe, and she was like face down, toes completely pointed. Like she is just oh completely straight on the ground. So That's we don't weird. we don't know when this arm got up. Um. So as for her injuries, 
her blood alcohol level was three times the legal limit, but everyone was still verbatim saying that she was just buzzed. And she did have traces of marijuana, of course. Everyone did say that she was right. smoking marijuana. Um, but also she had Xanax in her system, but the Xanax wasn't fully metabolized. Um, so forensics thinks that she just took it and then fell like immediately after. So her body didn't have time to metabolize it. So as I said before, her right wrist was broken and the bone is sticking out. The bone has broken the skin. And this causes a lot of contention because there wasn't that much blood found at the scene. Like you think if a bone comes out, there's going to be blood around in the grass. And there were just very small traces of blood. Hmm. Um, But the medical examiner says that she did have severe injuries to her head, neck, and torso. Um, And then she also had several superficial abrasions, including on her forehead, on her eyelid, the bridge of her nose, her right temple, and chin. Um, She did fall face down. Other injuries included a laceration of her heart, a fractured second vertebrae, and then her broken wrist. Um, None of her facial bones were broken, um, but there were spots of bleeding on her head. Mm -hmm. Um, Her second vertebrae was fractured, but... It was so minor that the um, examiner said that that would not have caused her um, to die. Um, So from the controversy, in the initial report, investigators believed that Horsford may have fallen from ground level. When the investigator says the position of the body does not appear that she would have fallen directly from the balcony to the ground. Rather, she appeared to have fallen from ground level with the grade of the yard adding approximately one foot to the height of the fall. So like it was kind of on a slope. Yeah. So just how she was laying. So oddly, it looks like she just kind of walked outside and then fell straight down because she, if she would have fallen from the balcony, there was the way that her body was positioned. She hadn't tried to catch herself and she hadn't tried to twist in the air and not land on her face. So at first when people saw her, they were like, she didn't fall from the balcony. She just fell face down. The lead detective, Michael Christian, echoed this theory, telling the medical examiner, examiner, the position of the body does not appear that she had fallen directly from the balcony, rather ground level. So he's saying the same thing. And all the deputies at the scene are really confused by her body position. And one says... If you go to brace yourself with your left hand and there ain't nothing to brace yourself with, you'd spin. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> this is an exact quote from him. And another deputy rep- responded and said, it doesn't make sense. It's kind of like a nosedive. So everyone is agreeing because when Jose gets on the phone, he says mm-hmm. that it would have been this many feet with her feet on the railing. And everyone's saying, she like, why would she be laying like this if she fell from the balcony? Right. Very. I feel like if you nosedive off the balcony too, like some of your face bones are going to be broken. Absolutely. (laughs) And the only broken bone that she has is her wrist. Yeah, that's weird. Yes. Um, And just again, everyone's really confused. And Jean says, it's the weirdest thing. She was face down, but her arms were down like she just face planted. It's the best way I can describe it. Um, While getting statements, police did ask everyone for um, pictures and videos of the party, Mm -hmm. um, but they didn't ask to take any of the devices to download the pictures and everything. Nor did the deputies ever subpoena their phones for record. 
Um, and then later on when there's a lot of contention with this case in the Georgia Bureau of Investigation got involved, then they did ask for their phones. But by that time, at least two people at the party had new phones and didn't have um didn't have the pictures and everything. And the other people, text messages and pictures from that night had been deleted. That's frustrating. Yes. Horser's family suspects that this is a new chapter in Forsyth County history of racial tensions. Horsford was the only black woman at the party, and she was the only one who wound up dead. And her family said they believe this impacted the way that the deputies viewed the scene. Mm -hmm. Because they, when they came, it didn't seem like they were taking it seriously. Um, The lead investigator on the case, Michael Christian, um, was even accused of calling Horsford the porch lady and making derogatory racial remarks. Oh, my God. How could you be in a profession of, like, public service and... Be racist. Yeah. The family's attorney says, I mean, that's horrific. The racist, bigoted, sarcastic, funny way of this sick son of a expletive. You're such a teacher. Fake. Uh, no, I, I don't know what the expletive was. Oh, they edited it out. <laughs> they edited it out. It says expletive. Yes. So, I mean, their attorney's very frustrated. Um, Christian said that his comments were taken out of context and then the other deputies involved denied that he ever said anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but race aside, the officers who responded had connections with some of the people inside of the house. The the deputies? The deputies were friends with some of the people who were at the party. <sighs> oh my God. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, Jose Barrera himself worked for Forsyth County. Um, and then remember Michael Christian, who's making mm-hmm. these derogatory comments. Um, not only is he friends with some of the people, he also got in trouble for sending crime scene photos and <gasps> information to women that he was having extramarital affairs with. Oh, my God. I know you guys can't uh, see my face, but my jaw is on the ground. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, I feel like that's, like, rule one of, like, let's not do that. It gets worse. How? <laughs> one of the women that he sent these pictures to said, I mean, I was on the phone with him when he got dispatched to that call. We were just chatting on the phone, and he's snapping me pictures of her dead body. (gasps) Snapping as in Snapchat. What? They were on the phone when he got dispatched, and then when he got to the crime scene, he is taking Snapchat pictures and sending it to his mistress. I mean, like weird flex but okay like why would you even think that's appropriate and at the same time oh god (laughs) he so the other woman that he was having an affair with um she was completely anonymous but she did say that he was speaking to her while he was at the scene of the crime and i don't i don't know if that was on the phone or texting her or what so he is contacting two separate women giving them photos and information like, oh, yeah, I just rolled up to this. Like, this might have said when he said, like, oh, the porch lady. Like, here's some pictures of the porch lady. 
not taking it seriously as soon as he gets to the scene of the crime and he is the lead investigator on this case oh my goodness so she was just like her case was set up for failure absolutely yeah the woman the when the woman says um i knew when she died how she died the toxicology reports he was just throwing this information out there like it was nothing well that's like a surefire way to get your like there's no credibility to anyone who comes forward now because Absolutely. everything's public knowledge. Absolutely. So already issues with the police are there. <clears throat> um, and then there's recordings. It's over an hour long of when Jean Myers and her friends were interviewed. Um, and Jean is giggling. She's speaking in what some people would call a flirtatious voice. Not acting like she is talking about a woman who died at her house. Um, and then there's also audio of her offering to buy them Dunkin' Donuts gift cards and saying, like, what can I do for you as a thank you? <gasps> oh, so, my goodness. On audio, tried to bribe a police officer. And then, of course, like it's a Dunkin' Donuts gift card. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I, I get the giggling because I get very nervous and yes. start giggling in like the most appropriate settings, but I can't, I don't know, even if it was someone that like I knew, I don't think I would be able to, I might be able to have like some comedic relief moments, mm -hmm. but, but no, it was the entire time she was just, it was like, it was a casual talk at a Starbucks, not the Gross. fact that she was being interviewed by the police because someone died at her house. And then remember, um, Jose Barrera, her 27-year-old boyfriend, who was mm -hmm. the pretrial services off officer, he got fired in December because he was um, gathering documents and sending them to people. He was on, using on like he was using the police port or the like his yeah, job's yeah. portal to access information and send it to people. Information specific to this case or just anything? Both. It wasn't exactly specific. Um, but there was one woman who came forward and said, like, he sent out my information. And I don't and it didn't say that it was in um, reference to the Tamla Harris case, but she did say, like, he had access to my family members' addresses, my address, all of this information. Oh, my goodness. Um, he was fired, and then his boss did go on record saying that he was fired because um, his boss had lost faith in him being able to do his job. Well, then his boss should have fired a lot more people. Absolutely. Um, so just a reminder, she was the only black woman at a sleepover mm -hmm. with a group of white women. Um, so this all occurred in Forsyth County, and this case means so much to me because I used to live right outside of there. Um, it was in Cumming, Georgia, which wasn't very far from where I lived. And let me tell you, it's an eerie place, especially knowing that yeah. this happened. It's very eerie to drive through there. And I'm going to give you some background on Forsyth County. So going back to... 1912 people who live around there will know exactly what I'm talking about in 1912 in Forsyth County there were two major incidents that happened in the same week um there were several black men um one of whom Rob was Rob Edwards were accused of raping and beating a woman named May Crow who was a white woman 
She was found unconscious in the woods and never regained consciousness. Oh my goodness. After she was found. So obviously something horrific happened to her, mm-hmm. but she was never able to wake up and accuse any of her attackers. Rob Edwards and the others who were arrested were arrested because they were, quote, the closest, and I'm not going to quote it correctly what they said, but the closest black men to the scene of the crime. Gross. So they just, but it is 1912 in the South. Listen, I would trust a a black man in 1912 way easier than I would take trust a a white man in any time period. (laughs) Absolutely. After the men were taken into custody, a lynch mob forced entry and dragged Rob Edwards out. They beat him with crowbars and dragged his body behind a wagon. He eventually died. They then hung his corpse from a telegraph pole and took turns shooting it with guns. Oh my goodness. There were reportedly over a thousand people who participated in and witnessed this, but no one was ever held responsible. That's absolutely disgusting. The white citizens of Forsyth believe that there was a wave of black rapists emerging in their county. Um, so there were signs posted around telling the citizens of color that they had 24 hours to a couple days to pack up and leave. Then almost 1,100 black residents were forced out of the town. And there were night riders who then burned down black-owned homes and churches and threw explosive into the buildings. And then there were no people of color who lived in Forsyth until the 1980s. <gasps> oh my god, that's a long time. From that's 1912, yeah, until the 1980s. And of course, in between those times, the towns in Forsyth County were sundown towns. And even people of color who were accompanied by white Americans were intimidated and threatened if they entered. Um just another thing that happened in Forsyth in 1915, so just three years after everyone has been driven out, um, it got put on um, one of the scheduled um, driving tour mm-hmm. stops in Georgia. Um, there was a white family who drove into town, but they had a black chauffeur. Mm-hmm. When the family pulled over and the family exited, a mob attacked the black chauffeur. Oh my goodness. And they were attempting to lynch him, but luckily one of the people that he was driving produced a gun and was able to get him out of there safely. Another incident that happened in Forsyth County um, in 1968, a group of black school children and their accompanying adults went camping at Lake Lanier and a mob of white men surrounded their campsite and threatened them, yelling racial slurs and threatening them until they left. And in 1980, a black firefighter attended a work party at Lake Lanier again, and two men followed him to his car after sundown and shot him in the head as he attempted attempted to drive away. Luckily, he did survive, um, and one of his attackers was charged with his attempted murder, 1980. This was the first time a white man was convicted of violence against a person of color in Forsyth. That's disgusting. Well, I mean, like... 1980. Um, they had 70 years of no 
<laughs> they've already, I no mean, people of color. Yeah, they've already lynched people, but like they lynched people, drove them all out. Right. And then any person of color who came into Forsyth was intimidated and threatened, and it was a sundown town. There were signs posted in this town oh my saying goodness. any, whatever word they used, if you're here after dark, you will die. I mean, it seems like any time they arrived, yes. they would die. That's absolutely, absolutely yeah. Because the chauffeur, I don't, I don't know what time of day the chauffeur was attacked mm-hmm. in, but in 1980 was the first time that someone was actually held accountable for violence against a person of color. I mean, finally, but oh 19 fucking 80. Um, my parents were born shortly after that. <laughs> Your parents weren't born in 1980. They were born in ni- the end of 1980s. What year were your parents born? 19 oh wait hold on I lied it's 1970s oh my gosh I was like are your parents did your parents parents have you when they were 10 years old (laughs) hey mom and dad I think you're very young (laughs) anyway so Forsyth County is um about an hour outside of metro Atlanta so as Atlanta started to grow it did start to grow and in the 80s it did um Forsyth County really started booming um, so about in the 1980s were when people of color started to get jobs in Forsyth and started moving to Forsyth. Um, so in 1987, there are people of color that are living there, but they're still not feeling fully comfortable in the town. Right. So in 1987, um, there was something called the Brotherhood March. It was on the second celebration of Martin Luther King Day after it became a federal holiday. And it just wanted to challenge kind of the uncomfortableness that people were mm-hmm. feeling in the community it was led by hosea williams who was reportedly martin luther king jr's right hand man and about 75 black activists they wanted to march into coming to speak out against the intimidation and fear felt by people of color in the community mm-hmm. they were then met by a literal mob who was screaming slurs throwing rocks and bottles at them the mob also displayed Confederate flags and signs saying, keep Forsyth white and racial purity is our security. 1987, the Georgia Bureau of Investigation did eventually break apart the mob and some people were arrested because they were discovered to be armed. That's the only reason they were arrested? Yep. Um, and there is a witness. His name is Patrick Phillips. He, um, was, he's not a person of color, but he did write a book called Blood at the Root, which really dives deep into the history of Forsyth County. Um, but in an NPR interview, this is a quote from him. He was a teenager and he was, um, going back to his parents' house when he like stumbled upon this on accident. Mm -hmm. He said, I heard a PA click on and somebody screamed into a megaphone, you know, raise your hand if you love white power. And all of these young men around me, you know, raised their fist and started screaming white power. And I saw a guy go by with a noose on his shoulder. And, you know, it was kind of this horrifying moment where it what had always been present in this county, but was kind of suppressed was suddenly very visible. And those images went all over the country and all over the world. Oh my goodness. In 1987. So that's just some background on 
the county that she died in. And she did die in 2018, but just this history of it being a white only, like completely racist county. And then she moves there in 2012. And then even the aunt, when she went to go tell Jean, Mm -hmm. she said, there's something wrong with your friend from the island. Yeah. And I feel like even like, racial issues it feels so distant it feels like it was like back in the 1800s where like everything mm-hmm. happened but it's so like it's it's still happening mm-hmm. but like 1980s is not that far away it's really not and then so this case it was ruled that it was just an accidental death and they did mm-hmm. conclude that she fell um the family thinks that even if it was an accident, there's more to it than she oh, just walked sure. outside and actually fell down. Um, and I know it was 1987 when this brotherhood march happened, but I mean, I used to live in Georgia. I worked out, I lived and worked right outside of Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And I just want to remind people that yes, it is 2022, but everywhere racism is still prevalent i had a coworker who told me that she didn't like american blacks she said that she was okay with black people who immigrated into the country because they were hard working but she didn't like american blacks because what? they were ghetto oh my goodness. as the children in our classroom right are all are all children of color and their parents are all people of color and all of my coworkers almost were people of color my principal was a person of color the assistant principals were women of color and in the year of 2022 i had a coworker tell me that she didn't like american blacks and she, she said this teacher yes yeah, she was also a She's second grade teaching teacher. american blacks yes that's absolutely and disgusting. the other and our coworkers were black women right who were born in America and she's telling this to me as white woman to white woman she thinks that I'm going to agree with her so that so oh, just living worse. living in this area and then going into Forsyth going into coming it is completely like you go to Target you go to Walmart you only see white people still wow so and then she's the only black woman at this party and then they don't Jean doesn't accept her gift. They're saying that the mm-hmm. tequila is gross. They're saying, oh, she's the only smoker. She's smoking marijuana. She's the female Bob Marley. She's referred to as the porch lady. She's referred to as the girl from the islands. Right. Like, even if it, even if something horrible, like a total accident, horrible accident happened, like, she, I mean, like, she, the moment she stepped in the house, it, she was set up for failure. Absolutely. That's horrible. Her death, her her body even, was not treated with respect or dignity. Her oh death goodness. was not treated right. with respect or dignity. The police who came onto the scene were not being respectful. I mean, the lead investigator is sending Snapchats, Snapchats. of her dead body to his mistresses. Jean is interviewing with the police about someone who died at her house and is Uh giggling and offering to buy them dunkin donuts as a thank you as a thank you that's very weird that's a weird way to put like oh thank you here's some dunkin like why would you get an investigator 
Like they're doing Why their do you job. need to get an investigator or anything? Exactly. I would never even think to give someone a gift like that. Absolutely. In that situation. Absolutely. So I want to hear your opinions. Okay. Having all the facts. Mm-hmm. Do you have any differing opinions on her fall? What was leading up to it? Your I don't thoughts? think she's. Well, if they would have treated the crime scene like a crime scene mm-hmm. they could have gotten a lot more information oh also something else i'd like to point out guess how many photos were taken of her body and surrounding her body were they all archived from snapchat oh probably but <laughs> guess how many official photos were taken i'm gonna say two it was pretty close it was five <sighs> five photos of a mother who right. died at a party five photos I mean, like, I would be curious to see if there was, like, any DNA evidence on the balcony. Were there any pictures? Was it even looked at? There were pictures of the balcony, and there were pictures taken looking down off the balcony of where um, she fell. But, yeah, no DNA, no fingerprints. They scrape under nothing. her nails, nothing? No. They did, they did scrape under her nails um, and did an investigation to prove that she was not sexually assaulted. So oh. it was ruled out she was not sexually assaulted. Okay. Weird. The end. Just walked up on it. Oh, she fell and died. Case closed the end. Hmm. I think someone went outside with her. I think when so, she too. went outside. Because who was, who was getting picked up? Who Just another up? woman at the party. Right. Do the women that left that night say anything? There's interview was like interviews with all of them. All of the women just say, no, she was having a great time. No, she was just buzzed. The end. Oh, I forgot about that. There's that's so weird that they said she was buzzed, but her alcohol level three times the legal. Right. I'm curious if um, Xanax interferes with. Um, like if it makes you more, more drunk, but she had just taken it, right? She, it had not fully metabolized yet. If she had taken it earlier in the night and it had fully metabolized, absolutely. Right. That definitely could have made her more unsteady on her feet. But the examiner did find that, like he concluded that she would have taken it like minutes before the fall. Right. But she was extremely drunk, three times legal alcohol limit and was smoking pot. But everyone's like, no, she was just buzzed. She's smoking pot. Smoking pot. But yeah, no, no, she was having a great time. She was just buzzed. I mean, like, I don't even know how, I don't think she would have drank that Uh, from when she was, they said that she was buzzed to when she died. I don't understand Mm -hmm. how. Or was she never just buzzed? Did everyone know that she was shit faced? Oh my God. I didn't even think about it like that. (laughs) Yeah, did, I mean, she drank that much, did, were they playing drinking games, and she got way too drunk, and they don't want to take responsibility to it, were they, like, feeding her more drinks, like, how Mm. could her blood alcohol level be so high, and yet, like, no, she's just buzzed, and then the, um, police did ask Jean, like, was anyone upset, was anyone, like, arguing, and, um, Jean and Jose both said like, no, there were no like unhappy drunks here. And then they asked if the one time that Jean did say something a little bit different was the cops asked if she was in a good mood 
And Jean kind of jokingly said, no, because LSU lost. But still kind of joking. But right. no one's, I mean, no one's saying that she was super drunk. No one was saying that she got upset about anything. I mean, she's hanging out. She's having a good time, reportedly. Um, her adult daughter um, had just had a baby. So she's saying that she was excited to be a grandmother. So all oh. of these, all of the women and the men who were there are just saying like, yeah, she was having a great time. And then she just went out for one last cigarette and fell off the balcony. Cut and dry. Where was the the place she was going to sleep at? Was that upstairs? It was upstairs. Was the balcony right with that? Where was it? <laughs> Give me a, a blueprint of there this house. There are <laughs> pictures. There are pictures and there is a blueprint of this house laid out. <clears throat> I'm looking at the notifications from the door opening and closing. Oh, yes. It's weird because... So the front doors opened and closed in within the same minute. And then the back doors open, closed after a minute, and then opened again. And that's what I'm assuming is the one woman who left. So the one woman. Was in like, the front. Yeah. But yeah. then if she went outside to smoke, she opened the door, mm-hmm. closed it to go outside to smoke, and then she opened it and left it. I feel like someone went that's outside That's the same door? Mm-hmm. The back door. Oh, that's really interesting. I didn't even catch that. Mm-hmm. Back door was opened at 1.49 a.m. Back door was closed at 1.50 a.m. And then the back door was opened again at 1.57. Which and then never closed. Which doesn't take seven. I mean, like, I don't know the statistics on how long it takes to smoke a cigarette, but I don't. I feel like seven minutes is a long time. I don't know. I don't know either. Um, also, the picture of her on the couch with everyone. She she's like one of the only people who doesn't have a drink in her hand. Is she really? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, there's like, you know, the people with their mm-hmm. arms around people. They don't have a drink in their hand, obviously, because. Mm-hmm. But yeah, she's like one of the only women without a drink in her hand. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, I, I I hate this case. I I've I know heard it, I've heard it before, and it's just like there's. N- there's theories, but there's nothing like that even makes sense because mm-hmm. there was, there was no, it just wasn't even taken seriously. Yeah, there's just like, it, there's a lot of stuff that just rubs the wrong way. Like mm-hmm. the fact that some of the police officers knew the people that were there, Jose Barrera right. was accessing files and sending them to people. The fact that the lead investigator is sending Snapchats about it, uh, just, it just right. seems like no one was taking this seriously i mean and no one was being respectful of her even when she was alive at the party yeah no one no one was respectful to her before the party no one's respectful to the crime scene and then the Mm -hmm. interviews with the police officers everyone is just giggling and hanging out and saying oh no she's just buzzed i don't know did she text her husband at all that night she did she got into contact with her husband and um her child that just had the baby but that there were, yes, but I mean, no one in her family has ever said that, like, she said anything suspicious on the phone mm. calls or text messages or anything. I'm just, I'm just trying to think of, like, if I had a girl's night and I started to get uncomfortable, the first person I would text is Cody. Absolutely. Be like, it's being mm-hmm. real weird here. Like, I'm, I'm uncomfortable, but I want to stay to meet people. Like, you know, yes. if I really wanted to stay, but I would definitely, like, kind of sink into my own place and, like, start texting. Absolutely. So I'm curious. Well, her husband did not, her husband, like, he obviously does not like the way that it was handled, but mm-hmm. um, I have not seen anywhere where he said that 
like he got a bad text from her, like got a phone call from her and got like a va- yeah. bad vibe or yeah. anything. Did they file a civil suit against the department at all? Yes. That's what, so um, that's why it was reinvestigated by the Georgia Bureau of Investigation. Oh, okay. Um, but the Georgia Bureau of Investigation just had the same findings. Just it was an accidental death from a fall from the balcony. Which I, I do, I mean, with her injuries and everything, like she obviously did fall face down. She didn't have any broken bones or anything from a 17-foot fall. So she fell, she died and fell down or died and fell down and died. But I mean, just everything is, it's just uncomfortable. It just rubs me the wrong way. Well, especially like you said, with the history of the town, it's just. Yes. Just, I mean, it's, has not been a safe place for people of color. I want to say ever. Right. I mean, just after living in the South and living by that county, Mm -hmm. like you can just tell how racist people still are. And I lived in what I think is a wonderful, very progressive, very diverse county. And there was still racism in that diverse county that I lived in. And then you drive an hour north. And like I always said, like you can smell the racism because like you drive an hour outside of Atlanta. And you're like, yeah, this is the racist part of Georgia. Oh my god, it's just like ingrained, absolutely, in people. That's absolutely mm-hmm. disgusting. Absolutely, like I said, I feel like America does such a good job of making you feel so distant from, like, like mm-hmm. in um history books, they make all of the the pictures black and white. Yes, so that it seems like it was from a long time yeah. ago. But like, what Ruby Bridges is still alive? Yes, and like in her, I think is she, she in like her seven sixties, seventies. Yeah, that's ridiculous. I know. And then it's just, I really like Patrick Phillips quote with NPR saying, um, the stuff that has always been present in that County, but was suppressed for a long time was finally visible to the rest of the country and the rest of the world. And that is just one instance of just like it being publicized, Mm -hmm. but what's going on behind closed doors when there aren't news crews there. Right. Um, also with this case, it happened in 2018 mm-hmm. and I'm a big person of true crime and I never heard about this until I listened to it on a podcast. Like I never yeah. heard it like on news headlines. Yep. It actually got publicized by, um, so during the peak of the Black Lives Matter movement, movement, mm-hmm. um, there were a lot of people who kind of discovered this case also and were all of a sudden tweeting about it and like even celebrities like T.I., Mm-hmm. We're reposting information about it saying like, this is fucking sketchy. Yeah. So it really has come to light in the last couple years, but. Well, I hope yes. she eventually gets the justice she deserves. Absolutely. Um, I want to leave you with a couple of quotes from her family members. Her sister, Summer, um, said about her sister, super mom, super mom. She made sure she could provide for them. She was always the type of person who would stand up for the little guy. And then her daughter said she had such a big heart, she would not allow you to be in a bad mood. Oh, my goodness. So she just wanted to take care of the people around her and make everyone feel comfortable and happy. So, yeah, she was a wonderful person, a wonderful mother of five, a new grandmother. Mm-hmm. Everyone loved her. Oh. 
Well, I guess thanks, Melanie, for that story. <laughs> You're welcome. All right. Thank you guys for tuning in. Go follow us on Facebook, on Instagram. And now that you have heard two episodes, you can shoot us a review. Yes, please go rate and re- review us. And if you wanted to email us, um, like suggestions or whatever, or you could even put it on any of our socials, but our email is aesthetically displeasing pod at gmail.com. So thank you. You can email us. All right. Talk to you guys next time. Bye.